Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. On today's episode, I speak with Gregory Liao, who is the hawker editor at Hungry Go Wear. He's also a vlogger on YouTube and he vlogs about hawker food in Singapore. I first came across his YouTube channel when I was trying to find out more information about Tao Kua Pao. I realized that his channel covers a lot of dishes that are currently vanishing from the Singaporean foodscape. So I hope that you'll enjoy this episode. I'm so excited to see yeah. you today because, because your YouTube channel has been a wonderful resource for me. You know, you cover dishes oh, okay. that, yeah. that are really not that well known in Singapore, lesser known, you know, not like the best hits in Singapore, right? Like chicken rice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm very curious you, about, you. about you and how it all started. So maybe you could start by telling me a little bit about your growing up years. Like, were you always a foodie? foodie? Did you always love local food? I, I suppose I saw like um, any other average Singaporean kid, you know, where basically you eat a bit of local food, you, you eat a bit of Western food, you love your fast food, and so on and so forth. I think that um, because of my study in the UK, so... Um, as um, when I came back from the UK, I think I was in my twenties or so. That was when I started uh, getting. I suppose um, that was when I was falling in love with local food again, lah. In a way, you know, because 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 um, I hadn't eaten uh, proper local hawker food for like many many years. I think close to about ten years, you see. Oh wow! Uh, when I was overseas, you were there for ten years. Yeah, yeah. About roughly ten years or so, yeah. Oh. Yeah, so uh, when when I was in UK, I was in UK for about ten years, uh, you know, and then so uh, when I came back, then I started rediscovering just on my own, you know. Um, but the opportunity came about uh when I was kind of like offered the job lah, or this current job which I have lah, you know. Mm-hmm. That's when I went really full on head on into it. Yeah, and your job is um hawker editor at Hungry Go Where, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what does that mean? What is a hawker editor? Uh, well, I basically just go around and I review food, <laughs> basically. But um, specifically hawker food, lah. Yeah. So so basically, um, I review the food. Uh, um, I discover about the histories. Um, I make certain food connections if I can see it. I was in the news editor for InSing for a long time. And then Insane closed down, they actually closed down the, the news section and I was actually retrenched, you see. But then um, after that, uh, I think about a month or two months later, they, they called me back, see, hey, 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 do you want to work for us, you see. They said, uh, oh, you know, um, because we've seen a few of your Hawker articles, which I used to do when I was in Insane, you see, just on the sideline, you know, when I was tired of news, I would actually just do some of the Hawker stuff, like maybe some some opinion pieces or some like random contributions here and there. Lah. And they could tell that. I suppose they could tell that um, I had a kind of uh, a passion for it, lah, you see. Mm-hmm. And then so, uh, do you want to take over the beat? You see? And I was like, okay, okay sure, you know, I'll take over. And then um, when I actually started taking over the beat, I actually didn't know that much about all the food. You know, I mean, um, I knew like as much as any person knew. Lah. Yeah. But I said, yeah, sure, sure, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> I'll do it. Lah. You know, um, and then so um, it, um, um, it, it was only going to be kind of like a part-time uh, gig, you see, because, because at that point, my kids uh, were born, you see. 
parent. So um so um that I would be the main stay home parent la, in a way la. Yeah. You know, because I wanted to spend more time with the kids, you see. Mm. And then so uh so I did this and I was a full time dad and that was my main juggling thing la, which mm. mean that I actually had spare time. Uh, so so I, I so I didn't think that this hawker thing would actually last for more than a year or two. Mm. You know, but it's been like I don't know, five, six, seven years already. That's <laughs> why so I'm like doing this, you know. Yeah. There you go, la. Is your YouTube channel part of your current job or is it something that you run independently? Oh, the, um, I run independently. I'm actually uh, kind of like a freelancer in a way. Um, I had extra time and I thought that, okay, la, you know, um, I don't think I can uh, be in this beat for a long time. Right, you know, because uh, because I thought it's it's only going to be a short term thing, uh, so I might as well uh, upgrade my skills. You know, skills upgrading, right? So um, I started my YouTube channel basically uh, to learn about video, to mm. learn about audio, to learn about uh, social media. Back then, when I started, um, video was the in thing. You mm. See, everybody was going video, so I thought, okay, like, you know, I'll just do it. That's how it all started. Was it really awkward doing a vlog in such a public space like the hawker centers? Because I, I can imagine tons of people will be walking by and like looking at you and thinking, what is this guy doing with his video camera, right? Well, yes. Okay. Um, because the last time I used to carry a proper DSLR, you know, with, mm -hmm. uh, with like a huge ass mic and uh, with like a, a, a gorilla pod and so on and so forth. So it was really, really big, my setup back then, you see. Um, and then, yeah, you know, um, I would get uh, people looking and, you know, uh, you know, uh, people looking into the camera and so on and so forth. Lah. Um, but I just leave it in, you see, because uh, my thought was that um, if I kept it as real as possible, right, people would actually prefer that rather than something a little bit more polished and a little bit more professional and so on and so forth. Lah. You know, yeah. because, because, um, because I don't have the skills to be professional, you know, <laughs> and anyway, I mean, you know, the, um, I'm not really a professional guy, lah. You know, yeah. uh, so uh, so uh, the only the only route I can go is to be as honest as I can. You see? Yeah. So so you, you notice on um, my leave in a lot of my blurbs. I right. I leave in a lot of my um, my mistakes. A lot of people looking in. A lot of uh, you know. And, uh, sometimes if I drop something, okay, fine. Uh, you know, the, um, also like leave it in and like that, lah. Yeah, and how has the response been like from your audience? Uh, oh well, uh, well, if you look at my demographic, right, it tends. I mean, uh, YouTube tends to be a male-dominated area anyway, so it tends to be predominantly male. You see, you know, um, but um, and they tend to be of the older generation, lah. You know, uh, but then it's not really that uncommon. Because um, people who are older tend to like uh, more traditional, more hawker, more local food rather than the younger people, uh, you know. Because the younger people want to experiment with food, right? Mm. So they like all the food trends, they like all the the the, the fusion and all stuff, uh, you know. I think that people, once they hit um, 30 or so, I, I'm guessing about late 20s, 30, maybe 35, then they start developing an interest. You tend to be... Um, more conservative as you grow older. You, see, you know, you tend to be very, very liberal and optimistic when you're younger. And then you tend to be more uh, conservative when you grow older. Like, I suppose older people want to read, uh, want to hold on to, to their culture, to their roots. And they realize that 
uh, to have that foundation is actually very, very important. Lah. I, I find it interesting that you say that because from my perspective, from the perspective of a younger person, it feels like loving hawker food is a very universal thing. Regardless of age group, everyone is really proud of our food. You know, when you travel abroad mm. and you find out that someone has been to Singapore, for example, I'm sure one of the first few questions you would ask is, have you tried chicken rice? You know, that's how proud we are of our food. So I, I find mm. it interesting that you know, you you think of it as a generational thing. I I mean, like for for example, you would never see a sixty year old drink bubble tea. No, I mean not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean not. See, you know, it is just a young person's thing. You know, yeah. young person they drink, they they do, they do food trends and they do the bubble tea thing and mm. they do the rainbow. You know, they do the rainbow uh, cheese thing and so on so on yeah. they, they they do the unicorn ice cream and so on so on la. You know, it is just, um, that's how it is. You know, that's yeah. how life is. La. It's very trend-led so, for the younger generation, I guess. Yes, yeah, which is not wrong, you know, because, because um, the younger you are, you tend to be uh, more experimental. You, you want to try new things, you see. Yeah. Because as a kid, you're always trying new, new things, you see. And then so, you know, you try and try and try, try and then um, you're trying new things as a kid and then you're trying new things as a teenager. You're trying new things as as a young adult, but after a while, you get tired of trying new things. You see, yeah. And that's when you're in your thirties, and then you realize that hey, you know what? What actually tastes good to me? You see? Mm. And then um, people tend to gravitate towards uh, more local food, like as a result. Yeah. You see? Do you think that mm, there is yeah. also a sense of disdain amongst the younger generation, uh, younger generation for hawker food or traditional food? Not say disdain, like, I wouldn't call it a disdain. Uh, I would call it um, a lack of understanding. You know, uh, but then again, on the flip side, older people have a lack of understanding of why young people like this, this trend, trendy food, you see. When you're older, you tend to forget what it was like when, when you were younger. You mm. see? And then uh, you, you have to realize that you, know, you have a higher metabolic rate. That's why you tend to like uh, sweeter things in your food. You know, um, the older you get, right, you, you tend to not like very much sweet things because your 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 metabolic rate changes. Mm. You see? Sure. Uh, and then also, um, if you notice, um, well, it is, okay, this is just a theory which I have. The older you get, right, the less sensitive your taste buds get. You see? And then so you tend to like stronger foods. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, for example, um, if you go to a Yong Tao food store, which is actually um, patronized by, uh, by the older generation, right? The soup tends to be saltier. Ah, I see. I, I never noticed. Yeah, you know, yeah. When you go to a particular hawker store, right, you observe the demographic of the crowd. You see, um, if you see that if it is of an older generation, right, um, the salt levels could be a little bit higher. You know, uh, um, as I said, it is still a theory which I'm sort of like, um, toying around with, I'm sort of like, you know, um, you know, uh, playing with it in my mind, but uh, that's what I feel, uh, you know. Mm. And maybe it's also nostalgia. As you grow older, you become more and more nostalgic, right, for the past because of your memories? Yeah, yeah, you do, you know, uh, and you go back to, to, to what your parents, parents forced you to eat, I don't know, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, you know, you talked about how, you know, at a certain age, you realise how important uh, your roots are and you know having that foundation when it comes to food um, so do you feel like 
by the time you reach that age, it would be too late. You know what I mean? If you spend maybe your 20s and your 30s chasing these really trend, trends-led kind of um, mm. food choices, do you feel like it's too late to rediscover local food, say in your 40s or your 50s? There's a time and place for, for everything, you know? So um, it, it's not that, you know, uh, what you did in your 20s was actually wrong. You know, it, you did it because, you know, it, 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 it is because you're young and you want to discover things. So, 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 so everything has a place and a purpose. Mm. You know, so, um, so which is why um, I never, um, how do I call it? Uh? You know, older people tend to poo-poo fast food. Let me know. Like, you know, mm. fast food all oh, is all junk food and so on and so forth. You know? it, but then, um, from my point of view, you have to look at it from a young person's point of view. You know, uh, that, that um, let's say it is actually an induction. Yeah. Right. For for example, okay. For example, when you dip that uh, chicken McNugget into that curry sauce, right? You know, yeah. and it's sweet. And it, you know, it doesn't actually taste like curry, right? Yeah. You know, but but it is kind of like an, an introduction. It is kind of like an introduction into the world of curry. Mm. You know, so so I suppose everything has a place and purpose for it. You see. Yeah. You know. Um. And and then once they they actually try that chicken McNugget in the curry sauce, right? And then they get used to it. You know, they like it. They get used to it. And then they move on to something heavier. So, so it's all about baby steps, lah. Mm. You know. But then the problem is that um, the older you get, and then you're more sophisticated. Well, sophisticated. You know, um, you like all these like really nice curries and you know spices, spices which are like properly fried and so on and so forth, right? You tend to poo poo the McDonald's curry, you see. But then you have to realize that it's not tailor made for you. Let me know. Yeah. So that the, you know, there's a place and there's a time and there's a demographic for for like for like every kind of food lah. Yeah. Mostly speaking lah. So so you always have to put so especially as a food reviewer right, you always have to put your shoe, you always have to put your feet into uh, someone else's shoes, mm. not, not just from your point of view. Yeah. You know, you know, I, you know, I mean, you know. Yeah, I love your perspective. It's so refreshing. You know. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, um, and, and I feel that what you're saying is so true because like, I feel that even though fast food and you know, junk food is so bad and like, demonized by the media, mm. I feel that mm. they have a lot of like, happy memories for children. You know? I remember when I was yeah. growing up, there were like, all kinds of ch- uh, school treats, you know? uh, like this mm. yakult that you bought that came with a gummy or like, happy meals and things like that. So I find mm. what you're saying very, very refreshing. Um, so how do you, how exactly do you cultivate um, a local palate in your own child? Or is that something that you don't try to do? Okay, um, I've got a seven-year-old uh, daughter and I have a five-year-old son. Okay, um, and they don't get to eat hawker food very often. Okay, because um, either, you know, um, either they, they eat at home or the grandparents will take them out to a restaurant or so on and so forth. Or maybe it is just easier as a family to go to an aircon environment. Let me know. You know, where you go to like Slappy Cakes or you, know, you go to a food court, whatever. You know. So, um, but now that my daughter is in primary school, you know, I, I make it a point that, uh, because I might handle her, um, well, you know, um, I, might have, I might have my days where I have to handle her. So um, I try the I try at least seventy percent of the time to bring her to a hawker center. Mm. 
You see, because um, I, I mean, you know, um, unfortunately, she goes to a, to to she goes to an elite school. Okay, she lives in a landed house, so she has got no heartland experience. You see, so the only heartland experience I can give her, uh, um, as a father, lah. Okay, is is to bring her to the hawker center. And then um, I always force her to try new things, lah. You know, whether if it's chi kueh for the first time, or chicken rice, or nohyang, or uh, misoto, or whatever, lah. You see, you know, you you just slowly introduce it, and I think that you have to do it as a kid. You know, for example, the Jose's intern I knew. Okay, um, she lives right on Sahariki Road. You know, she lived right on Sahariki Road, and then she had never been to Low India once in her life, and she was like twenty-one years old. So I was like. You know, how can you not have been to New India at least once in your life? So, I mean, you know, you, you tend to get into your echo chamber, your bubble uh, very, very easily. You know, so um, the whole idea is that you have to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable if you want to understand uh, different perspectives, lah, at least, you know. Uh, but again, you also need to understand why people are in their own bubbles, you know. So uh, that's how it is, lah. So, so which is why, um, at least for my kids, I can safely say that they have the hawker center experience. They have the, um, you know, they, you know, they they eat at hawker centers, restaurants, food courts, and so on and so forth, lah. You know, so that they have a wide range, lah, to like pick from. I remember when I was growing up, right? Uh, my school tuck shop used to have a lot more local food, but then now the the school tuck shops don't actually have a lot of local food at all. You know, um, every time I ask my daughter what she eats, right, um, a lot of it is like Japanese food. You know, so like, you know, oh, egg roll or, you know, uh, salmon roll or something like that. You know, she, she spends some, her money on that rather than the local side, you see. I have no idea why. Not. Yeah, and in your opinion, is it like um, this is how it is kind of sentiment or is it uh, more like, oh, you know, I should do something to uh, correct that or rectify that? Well, there's nothing to correct or rectify. Lah. That's how it is. Hmm. But uh, the only thing I can do on my own part is to just... Uh, well, now that I've actually got a little bit of an audience, I mean, I wouldn't even say it's a big audience. Lah, okay? you know, um, it's a small audience, but whatever I can sort of like share, I just share. Lah, you know? As long as I have time, lah, you know, sort of thing. And then yeah. so, uh, I'll just talk about stalls, which I like. And... Um, but although that being said, right, I tend to be very, 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 very careful about what I recommend these days. You know, um, I have to make sure that it is, it is universally uh, uh, loved. Like, I mean, you know, as in like, you know, um, it is the kind of dish where it satisfies that, that I say that it is good, that the, that the internet says it's good, and that most general people will actually say that it's good. Why are you so wary about it? The fact that you're in the media, right? You are you are no longer in, you are no longer part of the heartland. Let me know. You are part of uh, that upper echelon, You see, so you have to really bring yourself down, and then so like, um, um, I suppose you know, um, try and imagine that you're an auntie and uncle at the hawker center, and this is how much I spend, and whether it is actually worth my two dollars, which is why. Um, whenever I write a written review, right, I try to avoid the word cheap because my version of cheap is not your version of cheap. Yeah. I mean, you know, what I say is $2. You know, and, and what I see, if I see a $2 uh, 
side and go, wow, this is damn cheap. You know, it may not be, you know, it's cheap to me, but it is not to, let's say, um, a 70-year-old uh, auntie, lah, okay, who has to actually live like this, you see. Yeah. I mean, so, so, so there are different perspectives. Lah. You just have to understand those perspectives. No. Mm. So now that I've been, you know, on in the same line of, of thought, um, I think a lot of people are voicing their concerns about the longevity of the trade, given that people are not willing to pay more for hawker food. But at the same time, you raise a very pressing concern, you know, for, uh, for, hawkers, for hawker food to remain, you know, priced cheaply for the elderly folk in Singapore. What do you think is the right way to kind of get around this issue? Oh man. Um, okay. Okay. The government created this this situation. Okay, where basically um, store rentals were very very cheap, right? And then you could you could keep that fixed rent for one generation or two generations. You see. Um, so um, so it is yours, and then you can pass it on to your next generation, and then it stops. You see. So we've had very very cheap hawker food all this time, lah. So um, it's good because the hog food is cheap, right? But it's also uh, bad because people are used to uh, cheap hog food. Lah. And then so it means that the quality of ingredients are, are actually compromised as a result. See, so, so if they actually didn't have cheap rentals, right? And then uh, you actually allow it to actually rise, then hawker prices will actually rise, right? Then um, people are used to the higher prices. Then people will, will actually, um, don't mind actually paying $10 for a laksa as long as it's damn good. I mean, they will actually use premium ingredients. They will actually use real prawns and so on and so on and yada yada. Lah. You see, so um, it's a double-edged sword. There are like pros and cons. Um, I, I have no solutions at all. You know, mm. all I know is that this food is good. You know, it's worth my money. Um, I, will, I will go and recommend it to people. But as to the larger issues, they are actually very, very complex. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't, uh, uh, I wouldn't say that um, I'm an expert in it. <laughs> Have you actually had opportunities um, uh, of speaking with the actual hawkers themselves? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, and what, what is the sentiment on the ground? They don't want their kids to be hawkers. They, they don't care about a loss of culture. They don't think about the grander issues, mm. about oh, a loss of culture and a loss of this and so on and so forth. They're just basically busy making money, you see. And then so you know, oh, you know, if if my traditional hockey me will sell to, you know, if people will buy my tradition traditional hockey me, you know, then okay, fine, they will buy my traditional hockey me. If it makes money, I will sell it. You yeah. know, if. If you know, if they feel like putting marshmallows on my hockey me will actually sell, goddamn, I'll just hand it. <laughs> I mean, not, you see, they don't care about all these issues. You see, yeah. all they want, all they want is just money. It's like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Because their basic needs are not even met. They are like struggling to make ends meet. So why would they care about things like preserving hawker culture, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, they they just want to earn a living. Full stop. Yeah. You know, and then they are they are worried that. Uh, because uh, because um, they have to sell every day, you know they have to make a living. They have to feed their kid. They have to, you know, uh, pay their mortgage and so on and so forth. You know, um, you know, it is not as though their life is like so destitute, but be, but but it is definitely not so comfortable that they can think of loftier ideals, lah. <laughs> you know.
Yeah. yeah. So so that's how it is. You know, they they don't think about it. They just want, uh, they just want to um, give a better. They just want to give a better future for their kid and for, for themselves. Okay. They want to give a better future for their kid. You know, so that they so that they their kid don't need to be a hawker. You know. Um, but you know, uh, for. For me, for you, I mean, obviously, we're worried about the hawker culture going, going away, right? You know, um, I don't think it will go away. It will just evolve over time, right? You know, mm. but but um, but every year, every five years, right, you see traditional foods going away. That's how yeah. it is. You know? For sure. And you just have to accept the fact fact that um, uh, history moves on. History moves on. Time moves moves on. You just won't get all these old foods anymore, right? Yeah. So you just, uh, which is why, in a way, you know, I actually appreciate the fact that I can actually document. Uh, I, you know, part of my job is actually a documentation, the um, the of all these old food. Is that the way that you perceive your role in this greater scheme of things? You know, to be someone who documents all these um, all these dishes for prosper- uh, posterity or. Do you see yourself as someone who kind of creates more awareness um, and kind of generates more business for the hawker trade? It's a little bit of everything. Um, there is also this other element where, where you cannot be too... Uh, what's the word? Uh, you cannot be too romantic about the hawker life. I mean, uh, you know, because, because if, if you log on to... If you see any video about about any hawker story, right, it is always a sub story. It's a sub story <laughs> about oh how it is back breaking, you know, I'm making, you know, one thousand fish balls a day, you know, wow, my life wasting cool and then so on so on, you see. So you have to be because because that actually affects um that actually affects your job as a food reviewer in a way. So you you really have to step back and actually take out the romance and actually say to yourself. You know, is this food good? Will people pay him for it? Never mind about the romance. Never mind if he is disabled with one arm, with with no head, and so on and so forth. You see, you know, um, will people will, will people actually pay for for this dish? You know, you just judge the food for the food itself, yeah. not for the romance, not not for the this, not whether it is also run by a mega food corporation or whether it is run by a struggling hawker. You, mm-hmm. you just judge the food for, for why it is. I suppose that, in a way, is the main thing driving it. You know, it, it is that basically you cut through all the bull, bullshit. Mm. When, whenever you can, you know, whenever you can. And then you just um, call it what it is, in a way. Yeah. You call yourself a food reviewer. So, um, from, from the videos that I've seen on your YouTube channel so far, it's all been pretty positive. So, I was wondering what yeah. you... How do you deal with uh, food that doesn't taste very good? I don't. I don't do. A, uh, um, I don't do anything on it because because ultimately it is somebody's livelihood, lah. Obviously, yeah. so I just don't do a video on it. So I actually have got about a stable of about um, eight to ten videos, which are sorry half finished, which I just don't like because the food just wasn't good enough. So so yeah. So I will only um, highlight. A particular stall or a particular uh, dish, you know, if I feel that there is some sort of merit, you see, mm. now, um, whether if it is a historical merit, 
but obviously it has to taste good as well. Uh. Yeah. You know, historical merit or it's or it's um value for money or or it's just plain good or yeah. Can you tell me yeah. about some dishes that you encountered along the way that blew your mind or exceeded your expectations? Actually, actually, a lot of Malayan Indian food is actually not uh, widely talked about, you know. Um, and then um, even when it comes to Malay food, right, only the popular ones are actually talked about. So stuff like biryani is talked about, nasi padang is talked about. But even nasi padang is actually not uh, that popular a dish uh, when it comes to, you know, if you just look at the raw data. Lah. When I did that whole Gilang Sarai episode, right, um, there were just dishes which which um I had never heard of, and I had to slowly learn about why it was like and why it was so so forth Some of the more popular ones is obviously like kacangpu. Mm. You know, um, it's known in the Malay community. It's known by some Chinese, but there are still a lot of them who say, uh, "Oh, what is that? What is that?" You know, no one. And then so um. When I first tried it, I think about 20 or 30 years back, I was like amazed. I was like, what the hell is this dish? See? <laughs> it's like fantastic. See? Oh my God. See? Again, I was in my 20s and I was experimenting. Mm. See? If I was older and I went back to the hawker food, right, I may not actually be interested in what kacang pool is. Lah. Mm. Because, because you, just, you just want to go back to, to what you ate as a child. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that's just a side story. Lah, you know. Um... Besides that, there's some uh, there's stuff like for for example, you can get um you can get me goreng with like cockles, which is which is actually um I didn't know that the Malays did it and and when I ate it, your waiter was like fantastic, yeah. you know um and then you can get it in the store in Kilang Sarai, very very well very very well done, you know, um or like let me think uh, what else. Uh, well, you know, I, I still think the best biryani in uh, uh, is in Kilang Sarai, lah. You know, which is called Biryani Express. Mm. You know, uh, because uh, because the spices are just so much more intense. But again, it only refers to like local biryani, not dumb biryani, or because there are like many variations of biryani around the world. Yeah. Let me know. And then in Singapore, you you in in Singapore you tend to get only two major styles lah, I suppose. You know. I mean, um in low India you get a little bit more, but predominantly it tends to be the local Malay uh uh it tends to be the local Malay style or the dumb style. But yeah. there's also I, I'm recently discovering that there's also a third um kind lah, which is the local Indian style, which is very different from the local Malay style. See baby so um, I'm learning lah, basically. There's actually uh this actually dish which is actually very very good where they actually do um ethnic Bugis dishes where there's an ethnic group in Indonesia and they uh, they used to be based around the Bugis area called the Bugis see? and then so they they would do stuff like um they would do stuff like wrapped and glutinous rice um and they would sell it and then they they would actually eat glutinous rice with rendang. Uh, and then they will also do kind of like a kampong version of otak otak where they actually put shredded coconut inside. So you find all these unusual dishes, lah. You know, which 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 you never thought you would find it. You know, you're like, ah, you mean you know you actually do cook something? So yeah. So um, called uh, I think it's called kampong otak otak or something like that, lah. Basically. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I I think it's yeah. so interesting that you brought up kacang pu because. 
earlier this year, I was trying to develop a recipe for Singapore noodles for kacang pu. Mm. And I was actually referring to your video for reference on how it should okay. be. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, I, okay, I'm not an expert, ah. Okay, I'm not an expert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all is, you know, what no, I see no. is what I see. I, I mean, I was referring to your video for like a visual on how the dish should look. I work as a chef, and um, mm. when I was working, one of our Malay servers, she cooked kacang pu for staff meal. And that was the first time I ever had it in my life. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It doesn't even have meat in it. Yeah. It's completely uh, yeah. vegetarian. But there's like a ton of ghee in it, <laughs> which makes it so delicious. Like, yeah, yeah. So after that, I asked her, you know, can you teach me how to make your kacang pu? You know, because I'm trying to develop yeah. a recipe for it. So she told me about it. I cooked it according her, to her recipe. And then I looked at your video. And I realized that, that the ones in the hawker center tends to be a lot uh, looser, a lot more watery compared to like mm. my friend's version. And I asked her, you know, why is that the case? Is it like, you know, variation, you know, when it comes to, you know, family recipes? And she was like, I, uh, hawkers always play cheap, you know, because you are selling, <laughs> <laughs> selling something so cheap, so cheaply. So yeah. do you feel uh, a sense of that when you go eat at hawker centers that maybe it's not the best version of the dish yet because they are unable to buy the best ingredients actually a lot of hawker food right they tend to concentrate on the flavor of it rather than the quality of, of the product so uh, so which is why um, Singapore hawker food tends to be rather flavorsome so that you actually ignore the fact that you know you're actually eating factory made stuff you see so um, that's one uh, there's an element of that but then there are also hawkers where, where they feel like, hey, hang on, you know, um, I really want to do it pro properly, lah. you know, and then I'll, I'll choose the best ingredients and so on. You know, but, but in the end, um, that being said, right, you know, um, I have had a homemade, uh, well, not say homemade, lah, but I suppose restaurant-made kacang pool and, um, and versus the hawker style. Yes, the hawker style tends to be looser, but what it actually ends up in, and, and actually I've actually had kacang pool where they actually put meat inside. Meat, yeah, ground yeah. ground beef. Yeah, yeah, and ground beef or ground mutton or something like that, you mm -hmm. see. Um, but um, so so what it actually evolves into is actually its own thing. Mm. I mean, you know, it actually evolves into its own dish, and it is um where where it is a little bit more watery, but it is still just as tasty. You know, mm. you know but it's just a different taste. Yeah, you know, just like how, like, uh, for example, local biryani actually evolves into its own thing, and it is not dumb biryani, you know, because yeah. probably because dumb biryani is like too troublesome to make, lah, you know, mm -hmm. and then so it is just easier to just make something, you know, to, to make kind of like a, uh, uh, salad chicken on the side, and then so I put it on, put it on top, lah. So, yeah. you know, that's how it is, lah. You know, you you just have to, uh. Uh, accept it for what it is, you know. Yeah. There, will, there will always be cheap food, lah, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So, do you feel hopeful about the future of hawker food or local food in general? Singaporean food has become more and more homogenous because we've forgotten our dialect groups. I mean, we've forgotten the foods from our own dialect groups. You know, Singaporean Chinese food is becoming increasingly homogenous, you know, um, especially with people in Singapore who cook less. You know, people from my generation who have kids, they are not even cooking for their children, uh, much less cooking from their own dialect group. So, you know, in that sense, when our children grow up, 
um, when they say, you know, I'm Singaporean Teochew, what does that mean when they don't, don't even have that palette for it? And, and I also see that, you know, a lot of um, hawkers are giving up the trade. And as you said, you know, it's a very tough, tough job, tough line of work. So a lot of them don't want their children to continue. And you have seen so many foods vanish, right, from the Singaporean foodscape. So do you still remain hopeful for the future? Uh, okay. That being said, okay, now, okay, I do know that a lot of hawkers don't want their children to be involved. But yet, I've also seen cases where the children do want to get involved, mm. you know. And, and I've also seen cases where the hawkers want their children desperately to take over, but none of them are interested, you see. And I also know of hawkers where, where, um, where rather than, than take a boring job, right, you know, they actually learn how to cook Hokkien um, And then they, they actually uh, set up their own business, lah, you know. And then so 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 um I see a lot of them out there, so um I don't know what the general trend is lah, you know uh, but I do see like uh, there are there are examples for the hawkers actually um, um being there for the long run and I've seen examples where where hawker culture has died you see so um you know the, uh, I wouldn't want to sort of like pick one narrative where. Where oh this is surely the case, mm. you know, it, it, I mean, uh, you know. Um, all I do know is that yes, it is changing lah. You know that's for sure. You no, know, um, I think that um, for example, and, and then um, yes, it is changing, and that um, it is due sometimes due to um government regulation. Yeah. So like for example, you can't eat uh street side yishang anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, yeah, you can't, you know, you, you have the, the raw fish and then you actually do the live yeah, yeah, yeah. over. You don't get that anymore, right? Yeah. You, know, you can't get pig's blood anymore. Mm. Yeah, because of the Napa uh, virus, which actually uh, came about. You know, um, you know um, last time, Chakwitao used to have duck eggs, right? Oh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you know, you used to have duck eggs and then, in fact, there was actually a funny uh, story um, is that um, when I went back to Penang after not being there for like 20 years or 15 years and, and, and actually eating uh, Chakwe Tiao for the first time and then I realized that, you know, crap, you know, this is what, you know, Chakwe Tiao used to taste like, you see, you know, yeah. which is why um, I find it very hard to find a good Chakwe Tiao in Hiwala. Okay, don't tell anyone that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, but but like you know, for example, you actually used to to use duck eggs, you see. And then the, the reason why you don't use duck eggs in Singapore is because of a lack of proper certification. Mm. You see, so like for example, all the duck uh, egg farms in Malaysia or in Hong Kong or so on, so on right? They're all small. You know, they they're not big. You see, so they they don't have the time to actually get like proper certification to show to the Singapore government that hey, you know, mine is properly certified. You see. Whereas like the, the Hong Kong eateries don't have a problem but that's why you can get beautiful uh, for, for example um, in Hong Kong you can get beautiful rose goose right but you can't get rose goose in Singapore mm. you know and the only certified one you get is from uh, some some Eastern European country like, where it's frozen you see so, so, so last time you used to have rose goose which is why in fact um, if you see the the Teochew dish of uh, rose goose, 
you know, I'm not going, um, not rose ghost, um, the Teochew braised ghost. Yeah. Right, you know, um, last time they used to have the law and they used to braise ghost with it. And then, the, and then the, the chili is actually very, 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 very sour. You see? And then when you pair, when you actually eat it with braised goose, right, it makes sense because goose is like 10 fatty. times more rich than uh, duck. Yeah, incredibly fatty, you see. But, but when, uh, when they ban, when they said that, when the government said that, oh, you need proper certification to actually bring uh, goose in, right? And so all the hawkers switched over to duck, which is less rich, but they still kept that sour, sour chili, which doesn't work with the dish. Mm. Which is why a lot of um, tra tra traditional Teochew um, braised sauce, right? They had to modify their chili sauce so that it actually works with uh, braised uh, duck uh, instead. Nah. But then some will still stick to the tra traditional. Nah. But then you realize that it actually doesn't work. You see? So, mm. you know how it is? Yeah. So, um, so, so it will change. Nah. You know, it will change whether it's because of habits, whether if it's, if it's because of um, government uh, intervention, mm. you know, uh, which is why there is a strong case that um, if you actually leave hawker culture alone, you know, it will develop on its own. Mm. You know, and, and, and there's also another theory that uh, the best hawker food you can find is actually uh, the hawker centers which are not near to an MRT station. It attracts a different sort of clientele. Sorry, sorry. This is like a completely different point. You know, for for um, I don't know how to explain. Uh, it, it is that um, maybe it, it attracts the true foodies to to a hawker center. You know, because because it is not convenient enough to actually go there. I mean, I don't know why. Now. You know, okay, maybe I'm completely wrong about this. Like, you know, <laughs> but like for for example, Golden Mile, right? Golden Mile is not near a hawker center. It, um, Golden Mile is not near a the MRT station at all, yeah. You see, and then but but you you have you have the most recommended hawkers over there, you know. So, in your opinion, you know, like what you said just now, uh, and your your theory, do you do you think that we should still actively try to preserve Singaporean food, or do you feel like the best way to preserve hawker food and hawker culture is just to leave it alone? You know, um, I talk to people who actually work in China, okay. And they say that um, the regional foods, okay, uh, you know, um, the, everywhere you go is all those Sichuan, 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 Mala, Mala, so on and so forth, right? But you never find any of them. Uh, um, increasingly, all the regional foods are actually disappearing. So, like, for example, you can't get real Teochew food, you, can, you can't get real Cantonese food anymore, and so on and so forth. Lah. You see, you know, because it is being dominated by Sichuan. You see, so, um, there is a case for preservation, you know, uh, but yet again, right, um, if the hawkers also were allowed to uh, just do their own thing, right, you know, and then just add whatever ingredient, you know, so forth, you know, then maybe, maybe it may be more interesting. Yeah. You know, um, the, um, I don't know what the answer is, lah, you know. But um, I, I, I can see, you know, but, but I do see cases, you know, as I, I said, where the government gets involved and then, you know, you don't eat any more foods anymore, you know. But I do see the case. I, I do see why they did it. But, you know, sometimes you feel that maybe it's a bit too harsh, you know. I mean, like, you know, I would love to eat pig's blood, blood again, but I can't, right? 
you know, I, from my perspective, I find it really scary to think that in maybe 20 years time, some of my favorite hawker dishes wouldn't exist anymore because they have evolved so much um, since I was a kid. And so many corners have been cut since I was a kid. So, so I really love dishes like kuei zap, which is like a super like uncle dish, right? <laughs> but, you know, now when I go to yeah. centers, they don't even do it the proper way anymore. I mean, they just have the braised pork belly and the tau kwa and like the hot boiled egg. And that's about it, you know. How many stalls still do like, uh, still, still take the effort to clean out the intestines properly or to clean the up? Very few. Yeah, well, well, um, that's that's uh, kui chop is actually uh, um, it's actually not as vanishing lah. Okay, <laughs> you know, um, um, as some other hawker dishes like you know because because you still do find kui chop stores where they actually you know, uh, where where they actually serve the big intestines and the small intestines and it's well cleaned and so forth lah. You know, so you do get that. Mm. You know, um, it's not like wakui. Oh, yeah. You cannot find Hokkien Wakui anywhere. There's only like one stall or like two yeah. stalls or like uh, sweet and savory glutinous rice. It's down to just one, one stall. I mean, that is really what I call feeding. Uh, vanishing out of the existence. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I mean, will it be lost? Yeah, it will probably be lost. You know, and then, um, I mean, like for example, right, you know, and um, I talk to a lot of older folk and um, they, even they, they just accept that, you know, it just changes. Lah. You know, they don't like it, yeah. you know, but it's like, it's like, you know, uh, you know, cinema prices used to be 350 and they used to have circle seats, you know, when you watch the cinema, you yeah. watch a movie and it used to be a circle seat, it used to cost 350 you know, yeah. they used to write it on the paper and so forth. I mean, it just changes now. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. I find it so interesting and like speaking with you just reminds me so much of my father-in-law because he speaks exactly oh, like you. Right. I mean on issues because um, previously I wrote a book on wet markets and um, oh. I, I really wanted young Singaporeans to go back to wet markets to really give local produce or regional produce like a second chance, you know what I mean? A lot of us are so enamored with foreign produce that we don't go to the wet markets because they are dirty. People think that they're smelly. And so, you know, when I was talking to my father-in-law about it, my father-in-law was like, you know, ultimately they will die. Wet markets will definitely die, you know? He <laughs> said, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's only a matter of time, like so many other things, like film, film photography, for example. Yeah, so I feel I feel like it's so interesting because the older generation seems to take uh, a stance of resignation almost, whereas like younger Singaporeans. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, it is um, okay. Whether if it is in life, whether if it is in religion, whether if it is in food, whether if it is in politics, right? The old will have more of a view of acceptance. Okay. Uh, whereas the young feel that there's still there's still hope, there's still optimism, there's still <laughs> you can still change things, you can preserve things, and that's how it is. That's how life is. Yeah. You know, when you're young, you're full of optimism. You know, you're you're full of optimism. You think that you can change the world for better, and so on and so forth. You see, the older you get, as you age, you realize that there's only so much you can change. Mm. You see? And then, uh, and then you become like your father. <laughs> you know, 
Well, so your father or your father-in-law, is it? My father-in-law. <laughs> yeah, your, your father-in-law. You become like your father-in-law and say that, yeah, you know, it, you know, if he gets torn down, he gets torn down. That's how it is. You know? Yeah. And um, that's how life is, lah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Which is why, uh, which is why, you know, uh, older people vote Republican and uh, younger people vote <laughs> Democrat. So it's like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But so when you started your YouTube channel, was it, it wasn't with that motivation of um, preservation? It was more like, oh, you know, no. it's something that I do on the side. It is something to do on the side, you know, something I can learn. If I happen to preserve something, then great. You know, uh, I'm sorry lah, but but there's nothing uh, fairy tale about it lah. <laughs> you know, it was really just something to learn lah. You know, yeah. it wasn't like I was on on like a mission from God or something. It's nothing like yeah. that. You know, there was, it wasn't like a passion project. There wasn't like any. There wasn't like any big aim or anything like that. Mm. You know, it is just to um, try new things lah. You know, try new things, and then uh, if I happen to do some good along the way, then great. But don't um. But I don't expect to. Let yeah. me know. Well, I I, I can definitely like, tell yeah. you that it has definitely done some good, especially for people like me who is mm. very interested in local food, but has no like, not many resources out there. Um, you know. When there, there, there's actually a lot of resource. You know, I mean, you know, which is why uh, I'm I'm actually surprised that people say that there's no resource. Um, the, there are books. There are. I mean, I know that most people don't go to. To, to like read or open a book anymore like, I mean you know well, but uh, there, there are actually yeah. lots of books out there uh, there's the public library there's a lot yeah, of internet yeah. resources actually so okay yeah. so I'm a huge fan of Singapore's public library but when you look at the number of heritage cookbooks out there it's so little mm. like so little and and when you look at okay take the dish for example I couldn't find mm. any information about this dish until I came across your channel, like I found nothing about the mm. history about it. Like for example, that it was a Tuchu Nonia hybrid, or that it was uh, yeah inspired by the ladies who love to gamble. I couldn't find anything of that sort, you know. Yeah, but I mean, um, okay, to, to to tell you the truth about that uh episode, right? Um. I mean, uh, my um, the reason why I know it is because uh, I've eaten it uh, ever since I was a child. You see, and then um, my auntie would always buy it for special occasions, lah. You know, buy it from 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 this exact store. You see, and then so I, you know, the, um, I told myself that oh, I should do it and um an episode on it. You know, it'd be cool. You see, but um, and there is some limited information here and there, and um, the thing also about a lot of hawker's history, or at least, okay, the thing also about a lot of documented hawker history is that they are sometimes very conflicting. You know, sometimes you say that this person is 60 years old, sometimes, you know, another article says that it is 61. Sometimes, sometimes they say that um, this is the history, but then, you know, it's not quite, there's a different history to it. So um, sometimes, um, sometimes you have to do your own research, lah. Mm. You know, um, sometimes I have to talk to the hawker if he is open to it. You know, um, sometimes I just take, you know, um, the, if the general history tends to be uh, correct, then I just use that, you know. But, but it's always a mishmash of things, you know, mm. but, but I have to do a lot of digging for, for some episodes. Like. Like, like, for example, there's the fish egg curry one. You know, um, the, the fish egg curry one, uh, not many people know that it was actually in the Sophia. Um, PhD blocks. 
You see, you know, basically in the origin of uh, Fishik Hari. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, um, so so uh, there are some things which I can discover and I go down and actually scout and actually find a little bit more information. You know, um, that's how it is, lah, you know. Yeah, cool. I have one last question for you. And it's probably yeah, one sure, of yeah. most, your most dreaded questions <laughs> as a full reviewer. Oh God, okay, yeah. But yeah. What are some of your best hawker recommendations in Singapore? God. Uh, oh, that's horrible. Oh my God. Uh, let me think. Um, everything on my channel? <laughs> Are you sure everything? No, no. Uh, no, no, no. Actually, no, no. Um, actually, no. There are, uh, if you actually look at my channel, right, I won't say which, but uh, there are some, uh, there are some episodes which I actually regret doing. Whereas I, you know, the, um, the, I go back to it, you know, and I go, oh, I wish I, no, my, no, my didn't actually recommend that or this, but generally ninety percent of the stuff I do is uh, uh, uh would be my recommendations lah. You know, I, I I think a better um a better question would be what are the hawker dishes I would eat before I die, right? Yeah, like death row meal. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, death row meal. My goodness, death row meal. Okay, let me think. Okay, if I look at my channel, right, there are some which are my true favorites where like without a shadow of a doubt, this is you know um a hundred percent you know uh, the recommendation, you know. So it would be like for example, Mr. Fish the Cantonese fish soup at uh Chinatown Complex. That that is a die die must try. You know, to me lah, you know. And then or like Yuet Loi, you know, that is also in Chinatown Complex where where they do very home style Cantonese food. That is for sure, you know, it actually blows my my mind lah. You know, um, there are episodes I do where it is kind of like a, it's not a hundred percent. It's kind of like a ninety-five percent, ninety percent, but it is good enough to sort of sort of like to recommend. But but there are some some episodes where I go, oh my god, you know, this is like really like you know out, outstandingly good lah. You know, so so it is uh, one, two, those two, the biryani, and uh, biryani express uh, at um. Gilang's right. When I first tried that, I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, you you know, the, our, uh, this is what a local brownie should taste like. Um. Oh, the, 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 there was that live prawn noodle place at um the old airport road, which I just thought was outstanding because once you have live prawns, you know it is as good as it gets Basically, you know, you cannot have it fresher than that. Oh. I'm very happy with all the recommendations. I can finally go and try food actually recommended by you. Thanks for having me. Now. You know, um, uh, it's also been been rather interesting actually talking through my thoughts and uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's very refreshing to have a perspective that's like so practical and so like realistic. <laughs> yeah, no, no, sorry, lah. You know, it's a pragmatism. Me, you know, I'm so Singaporean. You know, very boring. You know, sorry. Conservative. <laughs> They're very So that wraps up this episode with Gregory Liao. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you'd like to see more content, then follow Singapore Noodles on Instagram at SGP Noodles or go to our website at sgpnoodles.com for more online courses, recipes, as well as guides. So as always, thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you in the next episode.